0: you know, my philosophy is all about, you know, embracing adventure, living life on your own terms, whatever that happens to look like. And for me, mm. that happens to be about travel and living abroad. But that's not necessarily mm. what the podcast is about. However, mm. <laughs> I am doing a series on women who are living abroad and how they got to do that, because a question I just see coming up over and over again, and I'm not seeing what I think are satisfactory answers uh, mm-hmm. for people who are not educators, because that that's mm-hmm. my background and that's how I initially went abroad four years ago. Mm-hmm. People who are not educators are really kind of at a loss for what they can do. And I know mm. there, there are, you know, tons of possibilities, especially if you think outside mm-hmm. the box. But for whatever reason, mm-hmm. that information is not getting to the people who need it. Mm. Okay,
1: interesting. So okay. I decided
0: to kind of throw myself in the fray and help facilitate some of that, which is how I came to be messaging you.
1: Um, so, there's a, so there's the predominance of a lot of educators that are actually going abroad.
0: Well, yeah, because it's a, it's a mm. fairly easy thing. Mm. Um, or at least at least it has been. I think it will continue to be. Um if mm. the United States survives the presidency of Donald Trump. Uh <laughs> it may continue to be because help you know us all. Yeah, there is the desire for people to be taught in English, the US, UK, mm. Canada, Australia, New Zealand. That those are the markets that they target because, you know, in these other countries, they want their kids to be taught in English by native speakers. And so yeah, if you're sure. already a certified teacher, Going abroad that way is pretty easy, and then you know a lot of people do. They teach English. Mm-hmm. Like I dabbled. I, at one point, I thought I was going to be retired, and I dabbled in that and discovered that I enjoy speaking English. I do not enjoy teaching it. So I think I think there seems to be. I guess this is my own take that when mm-hmm. it comes to employment in the United States, people think very much in terms of my degree is in A. That means Mm -hmm. I can get job B, C, and D.
1: And Mm -hmm. they don't really
0: think outside of that. And I think when you go Mm -hmm. abroad, you really do have to step out of that box. This is the Picky Girl Travels the World podcast, and I am your host, Adelia abor of PickyGirlTravelsTheWorld.com. My guest this week is Janetta Craigwell-Graham. She's a Japanese-speaking attorney-turned-entrepreneur who can power lift over 600 pounds who's currently living in Rwanda. Um, did I miss anything in there?
1: Yeah, actually, um, it's a bit of a complex complex situation, but um, I go between Rwanda and Denmark now as of uh, almost a, well, nearly a year as of last August. Um, Decided to do kind of like a partial relocation or whatever you want to call it. Um, The business is still based in in Rwanda. um, And now I have, I live in Denmark. So I, I go back and forth or I did go back and forth every other month to Rwanda. So it doesn't, it didn't really feel like I moved completely, but we did kind of move our residency, you know, as you might call it.
0: Okay. So you're now your primary location is in Denmark. That's right. Yeah, it is. Okay. And I assume because of the pandemic, you just been hanging out in Denmark.
1: (laughs) Yes, I have not traveled. Um, and um yeah i we've been i i actually was in the in i i last in in, in rwanda in march when the pandemic was just really kicking off here at least in, in europe and had to cut my short trip short in rwanda in order to potentially not get stranded or kept out of denmark because they they started to everyone started to close their borders you know so Um, I think I got like one of the last flights out of Rwanda Um, that, you know, the the last reasonable flights that were scheduled (laughs) that didn't cost a million dollars. I got one of the last ones out uh, to come back to Denmark because we weren't certain when that would be possible. Um, So, yeah.
0: Well, I, I find, I find that incredibly fascinating along with the fact that, okay, you know, you in school, At the university, you majored in politics, which isn't super surprising for somebody who would eventually become a lawyer, but you also Mm -hmm. had a focus on Japanese language and culture. That caught Mm -hmm. me off guard. How did you choose (laughs) Japanese?
1: Um, Well, I really loved languages, even from when I was younger. I was, um, I think I just loved language because I'm I'm a big reader and I've always have been and I love words. And so, um, and writing and stuff. So I had been, I took uh, French and Spanish and Latin in high school. And then when it came to college, um, it was a requirement at my school that you go to a certain level in foreign language. And I also at the time was thinking, Oh, it would be competitive job wise to have Japanese. That's no longer the case. <laughs> you know, it would have been better looking back on it to have Chinese. Um, but uh it is what it is it's a so that's why i chose it i I also thought it would be challenging um with the whole writing component and reading component um because they have different characters um different uh, alphabet excuse me or character system um and so um that's the reason why i chose it and i thought it was an interesting culture um yeah so it was it was kind of partially job related partially interests uh in the and the challenge and the interest in the culture and stuff that, that that led me to yeah to study and i think it was like i was like the second person to graduate so it was also very new at the university i went to um with that degree so yeah
0: now did you ever live in japan
1: i did um i studied abroad twice um when i was in college and then at my law firm uh, during your summer, you could choose to either base yourself in the home. You can base yourself, basically, or choose to base yourself in any of the offices, a global law firms. So they had offices all around the world. And um, I chose to split my time between because I could never choose just one of anything. That's one of my <laughs> issues. <laughs> So I have double of everything and two places I live and two majors and, you know, two different types of, yeah, everything. Uh, so um, I decided to split my time between New York and Tokyo. So I spent a summer there as well. And then just last year, I um, was in need of a bit of a break uh, from Rwanda and just life generally. And, and my family and I actually rented a camper van and spent two months driving around um and sleeping in a camper van so yes I've been several times Uh, and uh, yeah lived for short stints but never for very long periods of time
0: you I, I also find interesting um, how you ended up eventually living in Rwanda mm-hmm. you you were working on a project in Tanzania initially mm-hmm. yeah that's right
1: yeah so um, I think, in terms of um, uh, you know the subject of, your, of, of of the discussion, which is like you know how can we find opportunities or how can one identify opportunities, um, uh, non traditional op- opportunities that will allow them to pursue a career abroad um, outside of like the teaching frame framework. One thing that people could look into, especially if they work for international companies, firms, institutions, NGOs, is um, getting plugged into those projects that have some sort of global reach or impact because the reason why I ended up living in Rwanda was because my firm had this long standing running um, uh, program where they would send attorneys to Tanzania to support. Um, Prosecution of uh, uh, basically um, persons and that were indicted for the Rwandan genocide at the UN Tribunal for the Genocide. Um, so they've been doing that for ten years, and you know this—you go for it's like a, a pro bono experience, and you typically go for a month. I, you know, somehow was able to convince them, part and also because I did have. Uh, a case I was working on because I found it so fascinating, and I, I was completely, like, really drawn into the experience of of living in Tanzania. Um, to let me stay for, I think I stayed for three months. Um, and um, and and through that, I met a friend of a friend who told me about this position that you would have never found. It wasn't. It was advertised maybe in the Economist, but who even knows? The Economist has a job section. They do. Um, and, um, uh, maybe I would have never found it, but it was through this opportunity from my, my existing employer that led me to this other opportunity and, um, you know, interviewed and, um, the rest was history. <laughs> um, had actually in between that gone back to my firm and asked if I could be transferred to the London office. And that was in process because I wanted to work more on um, projects within the continent. Um. And uh, found out I got this other job and moved to Rwanda. So it was quite unexpected. And yeah, uh, that's sometimes how you find things.
0: The kind of work that you were doing in Rwanda, you would mm-hmm. classify it as development, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Now,
1: yeah, I, I would. I would. Yeah. Okay.
0: Could you explain what that means? Good point.
1: Maybe I'm not the expert. (laughs) Uh, um, Yeah, and maybe I'm a little bit skeptical as well. Um, So um, I would generally classify, I guess, international development as uh, programs, projects, institutions devoted towards, um, you know, supporting efforts of Governments, sovereign governments, to improve, um, uh, you know, and to basically develop, uh, and, and that means usually if we're talking about like lower-income countries trying to improve, uh, you know, economic, uh, you know, poverty line, you know, improving the overall economic um, wealth uh, or whatever prosperity of the con- country. It could mean um, social issues such as um, things dealing with uh, women and access to um, proper health, health care, access to birth control. It could also mean um, agriculture um, access and improvement of agricultural processes and systems. It's really broad ranging. It looks at cross sectors and, and And across um, institutions too, because you might, you know, you could say development is also working within an NGO that might be focused on um, supporting reforms in the judiciary section, or you could say development was working within the EU, the EU delegation, so the European Union uh, embassy in Kigali, for example, and you're working on developing projects for Rwanda to support their international development. So it really is a very large sector. Um, with a lot of different areas um, of of, um, of focus and and very too broad, which is also the issue with it.
0: <laughs> well,
1: um, you know, yeah, go ahead. No,
0: I was gonna say you you said something about being somewhat skeptical, and the few people I have talked to who do work in development have also alluded to having a certain amount of skepticism about mm, the whole mm. thing as well so that just kind of yeah. tickled me.
1: Yeah no and, and I guess it's because like it's a big experiment and no one else that we know that is currently a developed country is I mean not very many examples have gotten to where they are by using this route right. Um, I mean the United States is not because EU was giving grants that United States is the United States right. Um, the United States is the United States because of a lot of different reasons most of which relate to um, creation of something, manufacturing, production, et cetera, and um, a lot of other policies and other sorts of things and, 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 and those things, um, and, and in a lot of time as well, you know, hundreds of years. Um, so what we're seeing is like, we're seeing, uh, you know, very kind of, to me, very idiosyncratic, very piecemeal attempts to kind of transform economies and transform governments um, in kind of very haphazard experimental ways. Um, let's try this here, let's try that there. Um, and, and to me, not focusing on some of the fundamentals, you know, like, uh, I mean, of course, people say, yes, we need to focus on building infrastructure and roads and stuff, but I think the way in which it's dispersed and managed it makes it really impossible because I think, you know, where there are so many of these uh, economies are very dependent on a donor deciding to do certain things rather than having a lot of autonomy over the development of a country. There's um, so, so many problematic things with it. Um, so I can't, we can't, we have to take another uh, podcast or another episode to talk about that and have some maybe reforms development people come on and speak about it. But, um, well, there's lots of problems with it. And I think it comes from good intentions, but there's lots of problems with it.
0: I I spent almost 20 years teaching geography and uh, mm. human geography. So that's my mm. own little personal nerdy interest in that. Other people probably mm. are not excited about that at all.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, interesting.
0: At what point, because, okay, so you ha- were doing what was supposed to be a month-long stint in Tanzania Mm -hmm. that you parlayed into something like three months that then set up Mm -hmm. this opportunity for this job in Rwanda Mm -hmm. but you know many years later you were still in Rwanda so like Mm -hmm. at what point did you know that you would be staying in Africa
1: no point I really um I thought I had a one-year contract to work at the, one, the Rwanda Development Board, and I was hopeful, of course, that that would be beyond a year because a year is quite short. Um, and I really did, I thoroughly enjoyed my, 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 um, my experience. So I worked within the government's investment institution, supporting the negotiation and, and, and um, structuring and, and um, supporting and development of, of strategic projects um, across uh priority sectors within um, Rwanda. So, in, you know, foreign investor or local investor decides they want to invest in, you know, let's say building um, a solar power plant and we support the project and helping structure it and also negotiate it on behalf of other government institutions. So um, I, I I was looking forward to that, but I always imagined that I was going to be kind of moving around uh, every two years kind of just going wherever I felt the urge and it was an interesting experience actually when we the reason why as a background I ended up staying for so long is that in this process randomly decided to start a gym had been <laughs> had been an athlete and decided to start a gym and so had a business and so I had a reason to stay and stick around. Um, but you know it was a challenge because um, I think, one was this like kind of wanderlust, this like itchy feet kind of feeling that I have after, you know, like, I don't know, two years or something. And then there was also this, um, this component of um, wanting a new different type of challenge. I was happy to go to someplace else in Africa, but wanting a different type of challenge. Um, wondering if Rwanda was like the best fit for, for me in terms of um, the kind of, culture, living environment, it's very quiet. Um, and I'm a, I, I lived in New York before I moved there, New York City, so I'm like, it's gotta be loud, crazy, and someone's gotta be, you know, like about to take a poo on a stoop or something. It's just gotta be crazy. Like, no, I, understand I want it to be wild. Right? <laughs> Yeah, when you said Mexico City, I was like, Yeah, exactly. Like yeah. like Mexico City, which has to be what the biggest city in the world. I mean, so I can I I I think that a little bit of me was just dying in all the quietness. Um and it's it's a um very much a group mentality kind of culture as well. So it's um, you know, very small, group oriented, everyone's doing, you know, what it kind of the same thing, you know, that kind of thing. So it's not like a big diversity in opinion and expression and vibrancy that I, I tend to like so um, I kind of just stayed and stayed till the point where it wasn't a good idea to stay any longer and, and uh, finally we, we made a decision to try to see if we can make it work with us by relocating and still having the business
0: moving or relocating to Africa, um, mm-hmm. kind—I feel like it's been growing in popularity that there is a large number of uh, Black women, especially, who have an interest. Mm. And mm. I would like uh, the—I would like the opinion of somebody who has lived there for an extended mm. amount of time. What should somebody know before they make a move like that? Mm
1: um so I lived in Rwanda for yeah seven years um so that's probably well beyond the typical lifespan of, of a lot of expats and I'm sure you're aware a lot of people have two-year contracts or three-year contracts or maybe even four-year contracts but there's a lot of turnover right so you really start to understand um a bit more and not to say I completely understand because one big thing I didn't understand the language the longer you live there um and I think in order to fully appreciate um, an experience like living on the continent, I can only speak for Wanda and maybe some limited understanding of like other places in East Africa as well. i never lived in West Africa. I can't say, say much about that is, um, there's got to be like, I don't know, I would call it like this incredible flexibility of spirit because I, I think like it's, it's not always predictable. It's not programmed um it's not it's you know it's not like you know you go here and this happens or you go to the restaurant and you know you're going to get that not this or you speak with someone and you know they're going to do what you it, it, because of the I think there's a couple different things at play and that that happens everywhere like cross-cultural communication and but there's also like understanding and expectations and and, and so many of Uh, foreigners um, in Rwanda, Black or otherwise, female or male, have a lot of expectations when they come and they get frustrated when those expectations aren't met. And it's, I mean, you just kind of got a lot of, let a lot, of got a lot, let a lot of that go, especially with this respect to the small things. I think I think of the reason why I don't, life of Wanda is not because of those kind of small things I could get, I I managed those. It was more like the bigger things, but you you have to, you know, manage your expectations with respect to a lot of daily transactions and, and just like the transactions of life that we all do. You know, I get up, I turn on my water. Oh wait, you may not have water today. Um, And if you can't manage your, you know, emotional well-being or your stress levels when those things happen, is gonna be a very challenging place to be because of course, like stress accumulates and that makes it really difficult for you to enjoy anything if you are stressed. Um, And and you may underestimate that stress in a lot of these environments because that's the second biggest point, because people are speaking the same language, maybe a lot of people are speaking English or French and maybe the culture doesn't like, isn't, um, it's there, but maybe it's not beating you over the head or maybe you're not super exposed. And I'm speaking about Rwanda in particular, so you underestimate, like there is cultural shock. It's not, chi- you know, it's like people think, oh, it's culture shock. They think of going to China or Japan, right? Cause they say that's the furthest away from us as you can possibly get from Western values. But there are like plenty of other places that are like also as much, but maybe you don't perceive it or not taking in, but somehow you are. So um, you've gotta be flexible. And you've got to realize that um, it is very different Um, and it's not, you know, like it's, yeah, it's very different from where some, some people may have been growing up and they need to, you need to find a lot of grace in a lot of situations and let a lot of things go and, you know, and just uh, make sure you take lots of breaks to get out and um, get out of situations so you can kind of remain calm and, and collected. Yeah.
0: Well, I think uh you hit on something. I, human nature is we like to make assumptions that other people mm. think the same way we do. And I mm. I worry about people romanticizing um yeah. relocating to the continent yes. and sure. and having this this assumption that well, we all look alike, so mm. of course we all think alike and and know and yeah. I, I yeah. would expect that that's not the case, but I do worry about that. So I'm I'm very thankful that you shared uh, that yeah. exp- your your take on that, your experience.
1: It is romanticized, absolutely, um, and that's fine. And I think it's in our day and age, black people we could use a little romance. I mean, we could use a little like rosiness in our lives, and you know, kind of. And I understand the appeal of that. I think, um, yeah, the assumption thing is is totally dead on. I had another point in my head, but it slipped out. But, yeah, I think it's important that it's it's a different country and a different set of people, and that. I, but what I will say is, this is what I was the, the point I was gonna make. I can only imagine, like the positive subconscious, like uh, I don't know, like the the the. The, the kind of positive impact that, that our self-image and our, so our, our self-concept of our, of, of our value and our self-worth gets, um, gets very, nur- I can only imagine it's getting very nourished in environments where, where everyone looks like us. I guess I really underestimate that now I'm in Denmark and I'm like obviously the complete opposite and people that um, are from like, let's say the Caribbean, my mom is from the Caribbean actually, or other people in Africa often talk about like, hey, everyone looks like me and the leaders look like me. And when I go in the store, everyone looks like me. I just, that has got to, you know, that had to have some sort of positive effect that I didn't realize it was subconsciously getting into me and um, being able to be in black spaces at at sea, at least um, I can imagine is, 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 is also, a pleasant surprise, would be a pleasant surprise for a lot of people that decide to make the move.
0: I think you're right about that. Um, The first time that I went to Jamaica, I didn't realize it at the time, but I kept thinking Mm -hmm. like there was just something about it that I really enjoyed it. And when I look back at it objectively, it's not that I did anything fancy or anything was remarkable about it. And it wasn't Mm -hmm. until years later, it occurred to me that was the first time in my life I'd ever been someplace where I was in the majority and how different that felt.
1: Yeah. Right. Like the transaction, again, we're talking about transactions or I was talking about that earlier. And like those daily transactions, which get, we are, we are stressed normally and and the spaces that we are in the U S at least there's some amount of stress that's going on. Like, imagine that's just gone. Um, So I'm, I think about that a lot now um, in the spaces I'm in. And I wonder, yeah, Uh, you know, maybe that's alone a good reason for some people to decide to make the move um, um, and to have that experience at least.
0: Um, Was it difficult to start your business in Rwanda?
1: um, No, it's actually very easy to start a business in Rwanda. Um, It's um, like that's one of the reasons why a lot of people actually do choose, even though it's a very small market, to start there because – it's you can get the business registered in a day um i don't think you can do that in the u.s i'm pretty sure you can't um and you get everything set up to start the business i think what's more difficult is to make you know to grow in rwanda so you may be able to start it and have some success but if you're looking to grow on a much bigger scale it's a very small country compared to some of its neighbors um you know tanzania is big ethiopia is big you know course we know Nigeria is massive um in terms of number of people but also in terms of um purchasing power and um and level and 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 and, you know kind of GDP and economy and stuff like that it's just a very small country so we we've we've struggled more on the growth side than we did on than we do than we did on uh starting the business side
0: yeah any words of advice to uh women who are thinking about starting a business in Rwanda?
1: Mm. Um, Think carefully (laughs) about whether or not you are doing something that not only a few hundred or even a few thousand are looking at, like, yeah, but that you think that there's potentially like millions that are going to appreciate it because it's a lot of work and effort and, um, and to reach only a certain level um, and, and after all the work and effort would be kind of disappointing. So, you know, you're going to put all the effort and work into it because you want it to be successful and it's going to be successful from having a lot of customers or whatever or clients or whatever the context is. And so if you can't get there because there's something like in the business model, there's not enough clients or et cetera, then you might not consider Morana might not be the place for you because you're still going to put a lot of effort into to kind of building okay. it. Um, but if it's a, but if, if you're looking for some, but I think on the other hand, if you're looking for a smaller environment where you can, where there's, it's going to be, you know, no, basically no corruption or limited to no corruption, easy to, to, to start and, you know, easy to get going if you want to try something out. I think it's a great a great country to try something out.
0: What I'm hearing is don't make those decisions based solely off of emotion to really put some mm-hmm. thought into it. Yeah, or even like any sort of list because
1: I think Rwanda's <laughs> on the top of like doing business or something or any of these things that say it's so easy. That's not the sole reason why you might decide to I mean, you know, to to do, to start a business in a country. I mean, I'm sure you've seen like there's plenty of lists out there, best places to live, best cities for this, best, you know, Mm -hmm. and if we just went based on those things, (laughs) some of us would be in trouble because we'd be quite surprised when we get to certain places, it's not what we expect. So yeah, just make sure you do your research and speak to people that live there.
0: So how does the experience of living in Denmark compare to living in Rwanda? Hmm, yeah, good question. I would um, imagine that's like night and day. It is like night and day,
1: and then there are some things that are just very eerily the same. Um, <laughs> um it's a homogenous country, right? And 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 the same would go for Rwanda, like it's pretty much all Rwandans. Um uh, and uh it's a small country, actually. Um uh, you know, small in size and small in population, half the size of, of Rwanda, but still a small country. Rwanda is small as well. So I think there's this thing of like homogenous societies and um, i living in Japan. I have experienced a lot of this too. It's like this kind of groupthink and and um, everyone kind of doing things a certain kind of way. I find that to be fascinating because we just don't have that in the U S like you're you're prided for like being diverse and singular and individualistic and stuff like that and that means that like everything you do is like almost you know everything in each individual chooses could be so different although we do have like i guess certain common values and stuff but here it's because it's small and it's homogenous and stuff like that you can really feel like the weight of like making sure you do it the way they do it And, you know, oh, we don't do these this way. We do, you know, you have to go on this side of the street and do this, or you have to wait for the stoplight. Like, I don't usually, I jaywalk pretty much everywhere I go, but no one jaywalks here. Uh, So you were like, oh, can't jaywalk. Um, And um, I find that interesting. I think I admire the, the government and people's trust in the government. And I admire the government and the society's belief that um if 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 we want a good society for me as if i want a good society for myself i have to take care of everyone um and it's a, it's a um it's a built around a welfare state where everyone is um you know taken care of in terms of education healthcare, care etc um so for that reason i i really like that aspect of the society yeah i mean it's 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 a um I'm still trying, I really like it here. I didn't want to say I didn't like, I do really like it. I was, I was really pleasantly surprised and I'm still trying to figure out, it, I, you know, not even here a year, year where, I, where I am in this cause I'm not working here and, and, and that kind of thing. And so, you know, where does, where's my place here? Um, you know, have to find, finding friends is always a challenge and I being away so much has made that more difficult. Um, you know, getting to know Danish people, learning the language, you know, all these things. Um, but I'm over, overall very positive about living here. And I'm really happy that we made the decision.
0: Now, if you, if you choose to work there or if you wanted to work there, how hard would that be for you to do legally?
1: Um, so it's quite hard to find jobs here, um, from what I've heard from a lot of people. But luckily, with like the type of law that I do, which is uh, largely based around contracts and stuff, I can really work for any anywhere, and especially in let's say, big multinationals and companies and stuff like that, which there are here. I could join a legal department or something like that. Um, I don't think that right in the city I'm in, I'm in the second largest city in all there's a lot of um, opportunities in international development. But if i say went to a city like copenhagen there's u.n um the you there's some u.n offices there and there's also ngos and stuff that work within it. if i wanted to do stuff that's more on the development i think the challenge is is that it's a very competitive job environment because it's a small market and um yeah so there's not very many companies not many jobs so that'd be the only challenge just finding something but i think i could probably find something and i think you we when we were speaking earlier we we talked about oh, I got a degree in X, so that means I have to do X. I mean, my natural inclination is, I realize even though, you know, when I may be looking for a job and say, like, oh, legal officer, you know, like, lawyer. Uh, I mean, who's looking for a lawyer? But, so even though I do this myself, but I know that now after my experience in Rwanda, and even after having my experience in law firm, whatever, I, you can really apply your skills in so many different ways across different roles. Um, and it's really just to make the argument that look, I feel like I can do this, especially those um, things, those jobs where maybe, um, yeah, like it's you know they're looking. I'm thinking from my perspective, like for operations roles or something like that. I feel that my skills are kind of fungible, and what I've learned, I can I can apply it across a lot of different departments or whatever or roles. Um, that's how I feel about it at this point, but. Yeah, it's 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 still challenging, right? Doing and doing the job search in the job market, you know, it's not easy. But not looking to do that right now.
0: <laughs> and your the type of visa you have would allow you to work there. Yes, um, so that's the interesting thing about
1: this is like in this global shift in politics to being more populist and more nationalistic unfortunately the last few years it's been really much more difficult for people to kind of move here and they changed the law and so it was I it took eight months I just got it actually last week (laughs) my visa yay I guess and it took eight months uh they changed the law in the last kind of five years or so um because of of fear of immigration, and of course we had the Syria refugee crisis, and et cetera, et cetera. So I had to basically apply for something to reunify with my partner, and we're not married, um, but he's he's Danish. Um, so I had to reunify with my partner and my daughter. So I, I applied for a spousal reunification. Not only did it mean like ugh, you know waiting this period, but we also, and during this period, I had to like apply each time I wanted to leave the country and. And then now we had to we have to provide a guarantee of around twenty thousand dollars to the local commune uh, for my application that has to remain in place, like so either cash in an account or a guarantee to secure my my being here. I guess I don't know if I have any liabilities. I'm actually not too clear about why they want this money, but we, we, we had to secure that. And then I, I just yesterday, as a matter of fact, had to take a Danish language exam. So I have to demonstrate I have a certain understanding of the language and get to a certain level. Um, yeah. The other interesting thing is I had to declare uh, on the application that, you know, I would uh, agree to Danish values and Danish culture that I wouldn't hit my daughter that I will send the girl children to school. So it was it was funny wow. to see these, deco- yeah, these decorations I had to make at the end of my application. Largely, it seems like targeted towards around a certain type of um, immigration, yes. their concern around Muslim immigration, right? Um, that I will comply, with, that I will participate within the community and participate within school life as well for my daughter. So. Um, I was, which I never had to do any of this, didn't have to learn the language, um, didn't have to do all this in Rwanda, took two weeks to get visas usually, Um, so it was a big change, Um, and I've, I've, I've guess only done this a few times with respect to visas, so uh, I don't know, this is Europe maybe, Um, I never lived in Europe for this long period of time, Um, so um, I think it's, it's, yeah, that, those,
0: I think it's Scandinavia. I think that's what it is. Um, Mm. That, that same concern about integration. I know Switzerland has major issues with that and which is one of the reasons they have been very hesitant to take uh, refugees. I just, I guess it doesn't surprise me that they would want to be reassured that you would embrace, you know, their way of doing things. I guess I'm just surprised that it was worded like that specifically. That's, I think, what yeah. takes me back a little bit.
1: Yeah, I I, I guess it's, like, so overt to me <laughs> who they're trying to
0: uh, target,
1: and I know it's it's been a challenge for them in terms of integration. Like, that's, like, the whole thing here is, like, this is like now, what, the second, maybe even third generation of, let's say if we were talking about specifically Muslim immigrants, but also immigrants from other places in Eastern Europe, et cetera. And what they can see is that these groups of people, uh, you know, they largely stay within their communities, it makes sense, we all know the reasons why, and, and there's not a lot of integration with the society, but that is also changing with younger generations um, as people open up more and get more understanding of the world but they they view that as like, well, we want them to be an integrated society. We, we don't want that clash. And I think maybe it represents like the biggest clash they know is like the religion because they're very anti-religion or whatever. I was gonna whatever. say not very
0: not very 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 religious.
1: Not secular. <laughs> <religious laughs> in Very secular. There's the word. That's the correct word. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, very secular in Scandinavia. Um, and so this is just like, it's like the embodiment of everything. They're like, no, no, we don't stand for any of this. So I think that's where part of it comes from. But
0: yeah, actually, I'm really intrigued by that because in the U S we like to promote the myth of the melting pot, yada, yada, Mm. yada. But really the United States is about uh, assimilation and yes, it's almost like I'd rather you be very upfront about your expectations of Mm. assimilation versus perpetuating this myth that Mm. we can all be diverse and different when really that's not what you want. So, you know, you got to give them something for being upfront about it.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like this it's it's, again, it's like an expectation thing, right? It's like, okay, now I know what the expectation is in terms of um, living here, like this thing around, um, Uh, speaking the language right it's obviously very important um, to them for certain reasons and like I should make an effort to try otherwise I could feel that like I I could feel alienated and not know why well now I know it's because like yes they speak English but they would prefer a lot of people if they learn Danish so and that's the reason why they're kind of forcing you to do that At least for like my particular type of visa. So yeah, I I agree with you. I think it's just it's helping to to understand expectations. And you know we're still you're still going to struggle in all of it being someone from a different place, right? Um, We just we just can't help help having that our reference is someplace else, and that's going to always be my reference. It's going to be the United States. Even in places that seem like very diff- very similar to to the United States, like Denmark versus some place like Rwanda, so it's hard.
0: Well, I do have to ask, um, how bad is the winter? <laughs> ah, you're considering a move. Um, well, it's I- not for the faint of
1: heart. Like I, I had my first one and Dennis uh, my partner has been he, he grew up here right and he's been away for ten years so um, so they maybe it was a bit different for him or difficult for him too as well to come back I think it was so we came back in August because we were like let's avoid coming back in the winter months because that's just going to be terrible um, but you know it, i don't mind the cold i'm one of those i 'm like a weird person. that actually like winter. I like the whole Christmas season and everything. I don't mind. I like wearing layers. The thing that was a bit of a restriction limitation is the early dark thing. Like it was getting dark at like, you know, towards Christmas and then into the beginning of the year at like three or four, like at four. And that was like four o'clock is early. Like, I might even be having lunch at four o'clock some days. Like, I mean, it's just really early. And it means that you can't go outside. I have a small, she's five, no, sorry, four. God, I can't even remember. She's about to be five. Um, and, um, you know, can't go outside and play and go to the playground. And it's just, and, and then obviously it's in the air because it's affecting everyone. So everyone just seems a bit, down so then every the whole place seems like it's a bit down. But the it's not actually that cold. I, I lived in Boston, so that was real cold. Like we would get snow a lot and it was like windy. It's not cold. It's just like this kind of I guess I've probably th- it's probably the same across Europe. It's like this gray kind of malaise of winter and then people just really start to shut down and <laughs> I think that's what makes it feel worse is that people just like oh this is terrible and then it feels more terrible than i think it actually is um yeah so you could handle it i'm sure
0: well <laughs> you know i because i for uh chinese new year scandinavia mm. was on my list it was out of scandinavia or eastern europe um because mm. i was trying to go when it might be cheaper but then i realized yeah. like that would be the death depth of winter and I wasn't sure I was ready for that um and so I opted for Eastern Europe and froze my behind off um and so I have to really do some intense reflection about what I can handle in the winter and what I can't so I was curious (laughs) about that um thank you so much for taking time out to talk to us today um if people want to connect with you online, is that something that you do? Do do you have outward facing social media? I
1: don't. I'm not a very good social media person, but I mean, I'm on Facebook and people are welcome, more than welcome to message me on Facebook and find me on Facebook. I I apologize in advance if it takes me forever to respond because I tend to avoid it as well um but i don't <laughs> that, might <laughs> that might exactly. be smart that might be exactly these these days we got to control what's coming in i just um i'm not but people are more than welcome to to to, to reach out to me and, and uh, we, uh connect on email or skype or whatever i'm happy to have conversations about this stuff um this is like uncharted territory for most of us right because our parents weren't doing things like that. I mean, they could barely travel around the United
0: States. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So
1: um, it's really uncharted territory. And as much as we can learn from each other, um, uh, the better. And I think it's getting so much um, better these days with doing that with all these wonderful Facebook groups we have actually. So, um, and, and other sorts of platforms. So yeah, people are welcome to contact me.
0: I hope Janetta's sharing her experiences as a lawyer and an entrepreneur help you get to thinking about how you can apply your skills in such a way that you can make your move abroad possible. Uh, Because really, the possibilities are endless. You really just got to think outside the box a little bit. As always, thanks for listening. Uh, In the episode description, you'll find links to the show notes, uh, how to become a patron, and where you can leave a voice note for me with your questions and comments. Your support of the podcast is greatly appreciated. I am beyond thankful, y'all, for all of the reviews and the shares and uh, the donations. Uh, Until next time.